Hello and welcome to the second episode of Real Property Insights with your host, Nolan Johnson. Now today we're going to talk about something that really fires me up, really, really fires me up. I think it's something that absolutely everyone should do. It's a very simple way to get into real estate investing. It's hardly even investing, but you are building wealth over time. It's a great strategy to supplement your income, have a, create a retirement fund, have hard assets that you can lend on, different things like that, and really build wealth for you and your family and those people you love. So what is this strategy? So what you do is you buy a primary residence, you fix and upgrade that residence. So when you buy it, you want to buy it undervalued or distressed. You fix and upgrade it. You live in it for a while. You might refinance it. You might not, depending on the situation, if you have enough equity. You rent it out and you repeat the process. Very, very, very simple. So let's go into a little bit more strategy into the best ways to go about this. So when you buy a property, you want to buy it undervalued or buy it distressed. So let's say you're ready to rock and roll. You got the money down. You find a property and the neighborhood it's in, all the properties around it are worth $200,000. This property is worth $150,000 listed on the market. Bada bing, bada boom. But you know it needs to be fixed up, right? Let's say the outside has chipping paint. The inside, the carpet smells like pee, cat pee, you know, dog pee, whatever pet they have. And it needs some upgrades in regards to laminate flooring or something like that, right? So you know that if you put $15,000 into this property, it's going to appreciate to the $200,000 that the other property is worth because the other properties also have these upgrades and they're worth $200,000 and they're in the same neighborhood. Simple as that. So you buy this property with, you know, being at your primary residence. So you put three to five to whatever percent down. Five is standard for a conventional loan. So you put 5% down. You put $15,000 into the upgrades. Now you have $35,000 worth of equity in this property built in. Pretty much the day you bought it after the upgrades, of course, you have $35,000 worth of equity at this point. Maybe you're a month into buying it and you've basically just made yourself $35,000, which is not bad for a month. So now you have this property. You have $35,000 worth of equity on a $200,000 property. Now, I'm not so certain that you should refinance in this scenario. A lot of lenders require you to maintain 20% equity in the property to get cash out, which in this case, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. Or wouldn't even be able to do it, actually. So in this case, you would not refinance. You would live in it for a while. You would save up enough money to purchase your next house. And maybe by the time that you have some income, you, you let's say you save $10,000, now this house is appreciated to $250,000. Well, now you can refinance, get some cash out and supplement the $10,000 that you have saved up. So now you do the same thing again. You rent out this property that you first bought and then you go buy another one, $150,000, $15,000 into it. Boom, now it's worth $200,000. You live in it for a bit and repeat the process over and over. Now, what does this look like after 10 years? So let's say you do one property a year for 10 years. You buy each one. Each one is worth, let's say, $200,000. Now, you're not going to own all of them outright after 10 years, but once you own all of them outright, you have $2 million worth of cash, right? At the very least. That's not counting appreciation in any way, shape, or form. 
And on average, houses appreciate about 4% a year. Now, if you find these good deals, they're obviously going to appreciate a lot more than that. But let's go the most, the worst case scenario, right? So each property is worth only what you bought it for, the $200,000. Somebody else has been paying your paying your mortgage. Now you have $2 million through all you really had to do was move once, apply for some mortgages, do some fixes around the house. Guys, that's not that big of a deal. It's very very non-time consuming, very easy to do. Anyone can do it. Now, what are some things to keep in mind when you're doing this? So let's go through some logistical numbers, I guess you could say, to guide you through the process. So when you refinance, like I said before, you usually have to maintain 20% equity in the property. You can only borrow up to an 80% LTV. That means if you have a $100,000 house, it appraises for $100,000, you can only take up to 80% of that value, right? So let's say you have $40,000 of equity in that same $100,000 property. So to keep it 20% equity, you can take out about $20,000. Now there's closing costs and lending fees, things like that. But just to keep the numbers easy to remember and easy to calculate, you can take up to $20,000 to maintain that 80% loan to value or 20% equity, same thing, just different verbiage. So keep that in mind when you're making a decision to refinance and your lender's gonna tell you that, but just to keep it in mind up front before you run the numbers, before you go all in, you may not be able to refinance and get the cash out right away. You might have to wait before you before the house appreciates and before you build more equity. Another thing to keep in mind is, I guess the benefit of this is being able to use the down payment of a primary residence on all of your investments. So each one of these is an investment, but you fund it with a primary residence loan. So a traditional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type loan that only requires you to put 5% down. Interest rate is way, way lower than hard money lenders or private money lenders or things like that. I mean, let's say you get a 5% interest rate with 5% down. That's very, very cheap money. And that's really the, the bread and butter of this strategy is the cheap financing and the cheap debt. Without this, it wouldn't really work. You'd have to be a lot more savvy of an investor. Not saying that you aren't savvy, but I'm just saying this is a very simple way to do it if you have a full-time job, if you have kids, if you have yada, yada, if you have other things going on in your life and you don't go all in on real estate investing, this is the strategy for you for sure. It's even a good strategy if you do go real estate in full time, you can do this on your primary residences anyways. Why not turn your primary residences into future cash flow? I mean, it's it's a no-brainer, right? Until you get unless you're so rich that you're just like, whatever, I don't care about cash, making more money. I have enough cash flow. I'm raking in a million bucks a month. Then go buy, you know, your dream house or whatever if you're tired of building wealth and or if you don't need to build wealth through real estate, then you know, throw your money in a REIT, let somebody else do it and you can go chill and drink a pina colada. But for everyone else, this is a fantastic strategy and I think you should absolutely do it. Now, another thing to keep in mind, so as you're doing these, once you close on the property in your name as your primary residence, you can deed the property over to an LLC that you create. And what this does, now depending on how big you want to go with this, it can create an entity that can secure loans in the future, secure bigger loans, different types of loans, as long as you can show cash flow, experience, things like that, the banks like to see for real estate investing companies or LLCs or entities, whatever you want to call them, big banks or institutional banks like to see to be able to give those 
entities alone and, and do kind of non-traditional financing for those entities. So if you want to take it really big, let's say you want to go, you know, on this apartment deal, well, you can get financing that you may not be able to just with your own income or something like that, you know, with your normal full-time job income, you could say, hey, I have a portfolio of 10 properties worth this, they're cash flowing this, this is how I'm managing, this is my rate of return, yada, yada. Banks will lend on that if you show good numbers and show that you have experience and know-how into managing properties and making real estate investing decisions. If you wanna take it farther, deed them over to an LLC. Now, technically, you're not supposed to do that, but mortgage companies, 99.9% of the time do not care. It's actually easier to foreclose on a property in an LLC than it is if it's under somebody's personal name. So they really don't care, but technically it's kind of frowned upon, but I would do it anyways. That's just me. I'm not saying you should, but I would. I feel like I should throw a disclaimer in there somewhere so I don't get sued, but yeah, I would do that, honestly. So this is going to be a really quick episode. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by simplydeferred.com. If you're looking for a qualified intermediary in a 1031 exchange, if you don't know what a 1031 exchange is, look it up. It's a tax deferred strategy for real estate investors. If you're looking for a qualified intermediary to hold your funds during the process, Simply Deferred does a great job of reviewing the companies, listing their credentials, their reviews of previous and past clients, how they structure their bank accounts, how safe is your money, things like that to ensure that you're getting the best qualified intermediary available for your situation. So go check out Simply Deferred. It'll help you navigate the waters of a 1031 exchange. That's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening and keep investing.